Shalom, and welcome to Nourish Your Biblical Roots Conversations with Yael. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. On my weekly podcast, I invite thought leaders, authors, pastors, and other religious leaders, politicians, and influencers to share their views on Jewish-Christian relations, Israel, and other issues that are of key importance to people of faith today. And today, I am so pleased to welcome to my podcast, Ailon Levy, a official spokesperson for the Israeli government. He was born and raised and educated in England. Ailon made Aliyah to Israel after Israel's last war with Gaza in 2014. And in the years since, he has worked as a journalist here in Israel and has become a very familiar and loved face for Israelis watching the news. Ailon served Israel both in the IDF and as an international media advisor to Israel's Office of the President. And in the wake of the Hamas attacks of October 7th, Ailon was appointed and has served as an official spokesperson for the Israeli government. Like I said, Ailon is a familiar face to us here in Israel, and probably your kids on TikTok and Instagram, and he's someone that you should be following as well, if you love Israel and want to know the truth of what's happening on the ground. So like I said, welcome Ailon Levy to my podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Thank you, Yael. It's good to be here. So first of all, I know you're very busy doing incredible Israel advocacy. I see you day, night, morning, afternoon, all hours. And that's been especially in the day since the attacks of October 7th. And your job is to make complex topics actually understandable, which you do an outstanding job at. So let's start off by you telling me a little bit about your work as government spokesperson during these very trying times for Israel and her people. It has been the longest and weirdest four months uh, of my life. I think it's been the longest four months of anyone's lives here in Israel as we deal with the aftermath of the October 7 massacre, the fact that we still have 136 hostages trapped in the Gaza Strip, trying to get them out, trying to defeat Hamas and bring it to justice. Um, and it's changed people's lives in ways that they could not have expected. And for me, it changed my life in suddenly catapulting me into this position of being an official government spokesman and one of the most prominent faces explaining the story of Israel around the world. Uh, and it's a major challenge because we are dealing with what is not a single front. People talk of the media war as if it is a front. There are, in fact, multiple fronts. So I have uh, the press conferences that I deliver a few times a week and have to answer questions from journalists off the cuff uh, and not put my foot in my mouth because that could cause a diplomatic incident. I have interviews as well, uh, which have died down now with less international attention towards the war, but still doing those interviews. But then also constantly trying to push the line between what it means to be a government spokesman. And we're really pushing boundaries here between government spokesman and content creator. And so one of the things that I've put a lot of thought and investment in is creating content, especially for social media, especially for Instagram, especially for TikTok, in which I will ride the latest TikTok trends or record the cover of a song, or on Friday, I recorded a video showing how I make my grandma's hummus, uh, which has become my most viral video just over the weekend to try to get our message out to audiences that are getting it from the traditional media in new and innovative and humorous ways. 
That's incredible. And it leaves me with so many questions. The two that stand out most is- um, Good thing you think I'm on it's... your podcast then and you get to ask the questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that it's a good thing or a bad thing that a lot of international media attention has kind of shied away from Israel compared to the after, direct aftermath of October 7th? And my second question is, how do you think hummus has to do with telling our story? <laughs> it's a mixed bag. On the one hand, there is now less attention that is being dedicated to this war, but the coverage as a proportion is more negative than it was at the beginning. Mm. And so we're fighting now to get a bigger chunk of dwindling media attention. It's because the challenge is not that the media have stopped covering this conflict. They have not. They are still covering it intensively. They're just not covering it that intensely that they're going to dip into a press conference from an Israeli government spokesman and take it live. They're not covering it that intensely that they want an Israeli government spokesman on every day, two or three times a day to help them understand the issues. So they're relying on their correspondence, on their sources inside Gaza to produce stories without necessarily wanting to bring me on as a talking head. So. So there are advantages and disadvantages. On the one hand, I think it's very healthy that the world is pivoting to realizing that there are other stories in the world. This is not the biggest crisis in the world. There are other things that are happening on planet Earth. I think it's very healthy to understand our story in its proper context and correct proportion. On the other hand, it does make it more challenging to get our message across when there is less willingness to uh, simply allocate us screen time uh, so less of an opportunity to get our message across. So it's a mixed bag. Uh, as for the question about hummus, uh, I think that in the podcast notes, you should send a link to my Instagram page. People should go watch it. it themselves. You got it. You got it. Because hummus, I mean, one of the main things that, that I kind of made a pledge of when I made Aliyah in 2005 was that I will always show the social human side of Israel because I made Aliyah for that, not because or even despite the government policies or officials, no matter who the government is. I made Aliyah because I love the people. I love the land. I love the food. Yeah. And so I think I personally think that hummus is the best advocacy, especially your grandmother's hummus. You know, how could how could anyone talk yeah. bad about that? But um, um, by the way, just on that, you know, I, I think that in the war, there's a, a tendency sometimes to think, oh, okay, there are Israeli soldiers downtown, down south. These must all be action men who were born to be soldiers, and they are they live and breathe being soldiers. And it's not true because the overwhelming majority of them are either conscripts yeah. or reservists. And on October 7th, these were friends and neighbors who had ordinary jobs and ordinary lives and, and girlfriends and boyfriends and jobs in high tech or waitering. And they were planning their next trip abroad. And then suddenly October 7th happened and they were told, okay, you need to be in a tank now and go into Gaza and kill terrorists and be a hero. Um, and, and it's really humbling to think that soon they're going to be coming home, hopefully, and we're just going to be surrounded by all these people who have the most incredible stories of heroism, who look totally normal, but, but really kick ass. <laughs> and, 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 um, and Israel really is about what it means to take ordinary people and thrust them in the most extraordinary circumstances. And you see what it brings out of them. You see what it brings out of them. You see what it brings out of all the single mothers who've been left behind to look after three kids while juggling a job while their husbands are in 
reserves and and you see what a nation of everyday heroes this is but every day everyday heroes I think that is one of the most important points that is lost, even on Israel's friends. Uh, my son yeah. is in high school, and his beloved principal, who leads this agricultural school, who's dedicated to working in the fields and growing the vegetables and teaching the next generation how, how they can do this, well, he's also a reserve soldier in the paratroop unit. And so from the beginning of the school year, my son hasn't had a principal because he's been in the tanks and, and fighting to defend the homeland. Um, he was injured a few weeks ago, and now they go and visit their beloved he? principal who also turned... Excuse me? How, how is he doing now? Is it a serious injury? He's doing okay. He's recovering actually at their school where they go and take care of him and visit him with his oh, kids wow. sitting all around. But that concept oh, wow. of the, our neighbors are the heroes. Our kids' principals are the heroes. My daughter is going to the army in a few months. She's been volunteering on an ambulance and she is more determined than ever oh, to go and be a combat medic because what she says is we don't want to fight, but we need this land. We need to defend our people now more than ever. And so the point and that you way, made. That's, um, that's, that's, that's really interesting that you say that about Israel's youth. I saw a, a particularly shocking poll from Britain just a week ago that asked young people aged 18 to 40, if there were a world war tomorrow and Britain were at risk of an imminent invasion, would you join the military? And 30% said that they would both refuse a draft, they would not volunteer and would also refuse uh, to serve, which is extraordinary uh, that, that people say they wouldn't fight for their homes, for their lives, for their families. Yeah. And in Israel, for the TikTok generation, it was just so obvious on October 7th that you've got to do what you've got to do. And, and concepts like fighting for your home, literally for your home, fighting for your life, literally fighting for your life. They're not abstract hypothetical terms. They're things that mean real things to real ordinary people in Israel. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's really awful, but, but that's the reality. This is a war of survival, not of revenge. And as I was raised on by my father, Rabbi Chilexin of blessed memory, he would always say, if you don't have anything that you're willing to die for, then you don't have anything that's worth living for. And so when I hear that poll yeah, from Britain, we're I think fighting this war because we also know exactly what we're living for. And 100%. I think that that's what um, that's what's driving people. Yeah. So, Elon, what, what's been the most shocking thing that you've seen? Because I've seen you keep your cool, not only in your viral, uh, <laughs> sensational video where your eyes pop out when someone asks you a ridiculous question about the um, return of Israeli innocent civilians um, and Israel was forced to release terrorists for that, uh, but, but many times where you've kept your cool and been able to be very articulate in some of the most shocking situations. When you think of the past three and a half months and all the different interviews that you've done, all the different statements that you've heard, what stands out as the most shocking? Maybe the most shocking thing is actually what we haven't been seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we haven't been seeing in the West, the sort of pushback you would expect to the utter insanity that has been unfolding on their streets. When people are marching through the streets of London or New York with signs saying, by any means necessary, and they're not only condoning and not only glorifying, but promoting 
acts of violent barbarism of the sort we saw on October 7th. We're trying to get our friends around the world to wake up and understand what a serious domestic extremism threat this is. The sort of poisonous ideology that they have allowed to grow unchecked uh, that splits the world into oppressors and oppressed. There's nothing in the middle. And if you are oppressed, then you can fight by any means necessary, including the mass acts of rape and sexual violence that we saw on October 7th. And you see a direct line between the people protesting in favor of Hamas and then chanting in favor of the Houthi pirates to continue attacking British and American targets. So I think the most shocking thing has actually been to see the outpouring of jubilation and celebration and the tearing down of hostage posters and not to see massive pushback against it. Um, and I hope that the pendulum does swing, that it doesn't swing violently. That's never good for anyone, definitely not good for the Jews, but that there is a correction and people understand uh, what sort of poisonous ideology has emerged uh, that, that glorifies and condones and justifies and promotes the sort of atrocities we saw on October 7th. So these voices are loud and shocking, um, standing with the Houthis, whose only objective is to bring terror on the West. Um, you know what the Houthis' slogan is? You know what their official slogan is? What is it? Their official slogan, you can't make this up, is Allahu Akbar, death to America, death to Israel, cursed be the Jews, victory to Islam. I like to say they have all the self-awareness of cartoon villains, but they're no laughing matter. Exactly. That's that's perfectly put. And so when you see the mostly youth um, protesting in New York and Chicago and London of standing with the Houthis, standing with Iran, standing with their proxies, standing with Hamas, they definitely have the loudest voice. Do you think they represent the majority? No, I don't think they represent the majority at all. And I always remember that when I'm giving TV interviews, I'm thinking of the mum and dad who are washing dishes and uh, watching their kids while the TV on is on in the background. And I'm speaking to them. I'm not speaking mm -hmm. to the radical lunatic major min minority that has been taken over by this toxic uh, ideology. I think that most people are fundamentally good. Most people fundamentally don't care. I mean, they don't wake up every morning thinking about Israel and go to sleep thinking about Israel. And good, because I think that would be very unhealthy if people had a, no connection were, were thinking about us every single waking moment. Um, most people don't care, but most people believe in the same basic human rights and human values that we are fighting for. We know that we're fighting for humanity on the front lines of humanity, and we want humanity to stand with us. Uh, the problem is that there is this campaign of violent intimidation that is trying to make it impossible to speak up for Israel, trying to make it impossible to uh, express solidarity with Israel in order to create the impression that no one, not even the Jews, not even Israelis, not even their closest uh, Christian friends and allies are willing to speak up for Israel. So Israel must really be evil and beyond redemption. Uh, and that's why it's important for people in the silent majority to speak up as well and make it clear that they're not going to abandon the public sphere and the public debate to the lunatics who want to justify October 7th style atrocities. 
It's incredible because within this very extreme darkness that none of us anticipated in this modern world would be able to take such a limelight without without having to answer for themselves or really having accountability, there's this, um, I would guess, I would say polar opposite movement of people who are standing with Israel stronger than ever, who are praying for Israel, who are advocating for Israel. Um, I see that every day. I'm so lucky that in my work, I work with um, Christians who love Israel, pray for Israel, stand with Israel, support Israel, distribute that aid to the soldiers, to the families of the kidnapped, to the orphans, to the elderly. We really, really, really need it and appreciate it really needed. And and so I know that in your work, you focus so much on the negative and countering the darkness. Is there an experience that stands out to you that actually represents kind of this deep light and love for Israel that you've seen as well? I've been surprised to see how many solidarity missions have been coming to Israel. Mm-hmm. It's difficult because there are reduced flights. Um, a lot of airlines are scared to fly into Israel. But I know specifically within the Jewish diaspora, many people were saying they're glued to the news, they're following everything that's happening, they're on edge. And when they come to Israel, they feel they can let their hair down slightly because they're part of it. And they just want to come and donate and pick avocados and hug soldiers' families. You know what? I have one perfect story. Okay. I was on the train two weeks ago from, uh, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. And a woman came up to me, uh, introduced herself, and said she was from New Jersey. And that uh, she, she recognized me from TV, so she wanted to say thank you for all your work. And she said that she had flown into Israel with a suitcase full of diamonds and gold jewelry that she had collected from, yes I, I kid you not a suitcase full of diamonds and gold jewelry good thing she didn't get stopped at customs exactly um, that, that she collected from friends in new jersey and had been handing out to reservist wives and the women from displaced families in hotels around the country and i was very moved and i told her that that was amazing that that people around the world were just giving everything they could including their jewelry and then she went and sat down and then she came back to me a few minutes later shoved 200 dollars in my hand and said i just want you to give this to someone who needs it wow. i said what do you mean she said here is 200 dollars. give it to someone who needs it and i knew i won't say who it was but i knew someone who has been doing God's work in telling the story of what happened to him on October 7th uh, has been driving up around the country, paying for the gas out of his own pocket. So I, I called him over. I gave him the cash. I said, listen, you need this. Keep fighting. This is from uh, the nice lady from New Jersey. And we sent her a video to say thank you. And moments like that, you just say, wow, we just, we just have the most incredible nation in Israel and in the diaspora as well. I love that for so many reasons. First of all, that you're taking the bus, that you are an international star and you're still taking the bus from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. Of course. Of course. The train. No, no, no. I took the train from Jerusalem. Train. Okay. And uh, second, that it reminds me of the story in the in the Bible where the Israelites are in the uh, desert and they give their jewelry to build the Mishkan. Yes. 
And yes, it's yes, kind yes. of that that idea that everyone everyone wants part of it. What we're building here is something mm -hmm. sacred in Israel and everyone abroad, yeah. but they're giving their jewelry and their gold and their diamonds. It sounds ridiculous. The things that are dearest to them. I remember yeah, in the first yeah, days right. of the war, seeing shipments of yoga mats getting sent from Los Angeles and, you know, the people <laughs> sending their most precious possessions. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they were new and not used, but we'll get into that a different time. <laughs> So for people who are able to come to Israel on these solidarity missions, I, I agree, just being an Israeli and seeing that people are coming to Israel, not just trying to leave Israel specifically now, is both emotionally encouraging and also practically that they're supporting the economy, that they're visiting the people, that they're bringing aid. Um, for those who can visit Israel, who what? how do you suggest that they're able to continue to help Israel from abroad? We need you to talk about the hostages. Mm. We need you to talk about the hostages. You know, I could give you a list of organizations that would gladly receive donations, but the most urgent thing we need is the hostages home. Yes. There are 136 hostages still trapped in Hamas's terror dungeons who we fear are being starved and tortured and executed and raped as we speak. Of the 132 who were abducted on October 7th, 29 have since been killed in captivity, at least 29, because it's not like we have baby monitors attached to the rest of them and we know what their health situation is like. We just have to assume they're alive and fight to bring them back. And, and this, their abduction was a crime against humanity. The nationals of dozens of states were abducted. Every moment they are kept in those dark tunnels is a crime against humanity. It's the biggest hostage crisis in modern world history, and we can't let them slip off the global agenda. So I would encourage people to support initiatives like uh, Rachel Goldberg. Rachel Goldberg is one of the most incredible women I've met. I don't know how She was on this podcast, and we'll link that podcast in the notes. So thanks for I don't know Rachel. how a woman finds that strength to fight for her son. For, for listeners who aren't familiar, her son Hirsch was at the Nova Festival. He was herded by the Hamas death squads into one of the roadside bomb shelters. They then threw grenades inside to, to blow people's bodies limb from limb. His best friend, Anna Shapira, who was an absolute hero, and I hope that every city in Israel names a square after him, Amen. chucked, I think, seven of those grenades out before the last one uh, killed him, uh, blew off Hirsch's arm from the elbow down. And he was then abducted into the Gaza Strip in a famous video uh, that, that shows blood spurting out of his left arm. And Rachel uh, has an initiative now called One Minute a Day. I think it's oneminaday.com, where she says, just spend one minute a day writing to your local congressman, to your senator, making a phone call, making sure that that issue is top of global priorities, demanding Red Cross have access, demanding the Red Cross put the pressure on Hamas that it can place in order to secure that access, uh, in order to bring them home, because no one can begin to imagine how completely unspeakable and awful it is to be a hostage of Hamas for four months, knowing what they did on October 7th. And their families have been living one long, horrific nightmare one long horrific living nightmare since then. So we need help to keep the hostages top, top of the global agenda. 
Wow, thank you so much. There's um, a verse in Isaiah that says at the end of days, good is going to be called bad, bad's going to be called good, light's going to be called darkness, darkness going to be called light. Well, it sounds and like we're definitely in the end of days then already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. May, may peace come soon. And I've seen everything you... seems very upside down and topsy turvy lately. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you are on the forefront of defining what light is, what darkness is, how Israel is standing with light and how uh, the world is invited to join us in this fight against darkness that is just as relevant for them as it is for us here in Israel. So Ilon Levy, thank you so much for your time. I know you are busy day and night, and I feel honored that you've taken the time to speak to me and my listeners. And thank, thank you, you for the work much. that you're doing. It is holy work. It is sacred work. We stand behind you and you are- and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. You're a shining example of how- just anyone can take the darkness into their own hands, shine light on it, and do whatever they can to make this world brighter. You are a shining yeah. star, and we appreciate you so much. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Aylan.